0: I'd like us to continue looking at uh, some of the women of faith in the the Bible by looking at the life of uh, Hannah, um, and maybe particularly an emphasis uh, that she has in one of her prayers, uh, or in her prayer, but I just want to go through her story a little bit this evening to remind ourselves that uh, the Bible deals with people's real issues and uh, doesn't doesn't, uh, ignore them, doesn't pretend they don't happen doesn't minimize them and think they're insignificant and uh, that is important for us because Hannah I know her culture and her situation and her time in the world is very different from ours but it is a a human story uh, with uh, elements to it that we can appreciate as people uh, one way or another she had a bitter experience. She was going through a bitter experience in her life. Uh, She was in that situation which God uh, never envisaged for His people, that uh, she was one uh, of uh, two wives to the one husband, and uh, she in the marriage was childless, and uh, the other woman in the marriage uh, was able to have and had had uh, children. And that caused uh, great consternation for her because uh, it was something that brought her uh, great mockery uh, in her life. And so she was bitter, uh, bitterly sad in her life, taunted, not understood by her husband Uh, who was uh, crass uh, in his words of comfort. But Hannah, you have me. I'm better than ten sons. Uh, Husbands is the wrong thing to say. And that was absolutely the wrong thing to say. She uh, was not understood by him. Uh, And uh, her identity and her loneliness... And her depression and her downcast spirit uh, meant that she almost felt forgotten by God and struggling in her life. A very ordinary person, a very ordinary person with trials, with difficulties, difficulties that maybe weren't understood by people around, or were understood and were made uh, a point of mockery and derision by other people. And many times in your life and in my life, uh, we can associate, maybe not with our specific issue, but uh, with trials and with difficulties and with rejection and with fear and with depression and with a sense of being, feeling forgotten by God. But the turning point for her very much was uh, when she went to the temple and she prayed. She took these concerns, she took her bitterness of soul, her weeping, her struggles, her difficulties, she took them to the Lord in prayer. And she spoke to Eli, the prophet. She spoke to him. Um, she was praying so fervently and so passionately and so emotionally, he thought in, in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, that she was drunk, and she said, I'm not drunk, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring out my heart before God. He uh, She explains to Eli what is the issue, and uh, Eli says, go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of Him. And at the same time, she made a vow uh, to God that if God answered her prayer, that uh, this child that she would bear would be given back to the Lord. She wouldn't keep him in the home. He'd be given back to the Lord and would serve the Lord in the temple all his days. And, of course, that became the case with Samuel. And in so doing, making this vow before God, a free will, voluntary act of surrender, where she took what she wanted most in life and said, I am willing to give that up to God, and I'm willing to give that to God in service that is where she found her peace, and that indeed is where she found uh, answers to her prayers. It's her willingness not to allow that, uh, that embitterment to continue, not allow that to become remain the source of her being, to remain her identity or her lack of identity, but to hand it over to God and to say, "You have this child. If I receive this child, you have him." That made a huge difference in her life. That was a vital turning point. Now, probably all of us in our lives have different issues, maybe around relationships, maybe around children, maybe around people, maybe around other things, spiritual concerns. But there are always, and and it may be that we're embittered by them. There's always a vital turning point in life. Very important, significant, vital turning points. And I wonder what it will be in yours and what it might be in mine. Are we going to be those who take these bitternesses and these troubles and turn away from God? Or do we turn like uh, uh, Hannah here? Do we turn towards God? And at the same time, do we speak to another believer in a way that she was able to speak to Eli and uh, unburden herself uh, before uh, him And are we able to vow in our lives that whatever it may be that is our burden, uh, our our unanswered prayer, our greatest longing, uh, can we make the same vow to uh, commit our lives to God in Christ and give Him everything and leave these issues with Him? Because uh, Matthew 16, uh, 26 just reminds us of that challenge uh, that we are given by Jesus Christ Himself. But he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world and lose their soul? So there's that same sense in which we need to vow before God that whatever it is that is embittering us or um, in which we are finding our identity outside of Christ, we are able to take that and leave it with Him, and say, I leave that with you and I give you my life and I die in order to live and I give in order to be given and I uh, leave it there, that great will of giving it all over uh, to Jesus Christ. And that is uh, a hugely significant, important thing, as is also, I believe, speaking to other people about that, and speaking to people in the body of Christ, as in this very kind of symbolic way, uh, she spoke to Hannah, spoke this representative of God. I think we have a a responsibility and a privilege of speaking to others and burdening ourselves to others, not just to God, about our greatest needs. Interestingly, Mez McConnell from uh, Nidri Community Church, he writes a blog and he writes prolifically uh, because he sleeps very little because he is so unwell and uh, bears so many physical uh, burdens. Um, But he thinks a lot and is able to write uh, when he's unable to sleep. And he asked a very provocative question on one of his blogs about the kind of people that come to Christ in his community. And he says, is Jesus enough for them? Now, he wasn't meaning for a moment that Jesus is not sufficient. He wasn't for a moment saying that you're justified by anything other than Jesus. But he was asking the question because some of us feel that all we need is Jesus alone in our lives... And we don't need to unburden ourselves. We don't need to be dependent on others. And we don't need the body of Christ. And the body of Christ doesn't need us. But Jesus is the head of His church, and the church is His body. And He chooses to use His body to enable Christians to be transformed and to grow in grace and to mature. In other words, if there's someone with deep social and psychological and spiritual needs, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ... Do we say, well, that's fine. That's them done. God's healed them. And do we not bear our own recognition of the responsibility of loving and embracing and bringing them into the family and working through some of their deep-seated spiritual issues because God has given us that, that responsibility. He says, that is ours. Of course, Jesus Christ is enough, but He chooses to use His people. And the churches where... Uh, people don't care, and where there isn't genuine love that stems from an understanding of the holiness and grace of God, then those who are in great need will not stay in a place like that. They'll move on, because it's too self-interested, it's too self-absorbed, it's too uncaring, too many issues, too many burdens, too many needs, and yet we find here this great example that the turning point was uh, her relationship with the Lord in prayer, her unburdening herself before Eli and uh, the vow that she made. She surrenders to God, and her running stops. She stops running, and she finds her peace as uh, she leaves. She went and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast, we're told, at the end, uh, near the end of chapter 1. She's gifted the child, the great child, Samuel, the, n- the name meaning God, has listened. And this prayer that we look at is the prayer of rejoicing in her giving him over to God. Now, very often, we grudge, don't we, giving our lives to God, giving our all to God. Uh, we do so sometimes grudgingly, sometimes unconvincingly. And don't you think it must have been difficult for her to do this? Having longed for a child for so long, she, but yet she hands him over with delight. My heart rejoices in the Lord. A great attitude. A great recognition of the perspective of her life and a great act of faith. And rejoicing is so important and significant when we understand who our God is. It is easy to drag our feet. It is easy to struggle. And it is easy to do everything with a grimace. But He wants us to do even the hardest things even the hundred percent committed things, even the giving our life and soul over to Him, wholeheartedly with joy, recognizing that we put ourselves in the hand of the Great God. So, very briefly, her confession of faith and her testimony and prayer speaks of, uh, in verse two, there is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one beside You, there is no rock like our God. And I just want to think for a few minutes of this statement, there is no rock like her God. Because we can take that and we can her testimony, her experience from her life, and we can recognize it and apply it in our own lives, particularly as we sit, I hope, as you sit in the peace and quiet of the evening at the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, that you can just meditate on God being your rock. And if God is not your rock, through Jesus Christ, then I would ask and implore you to consider Him this evening. And one or two qualities of rock four, very briefly. One is it's solid, solid rock. Uh, There is no rock like our God. And in verse four, she talks about uh, His protection uh, or His strength. And in verse nine, she talks about His protection. In verse one, she speaks about Him being the deliverer. And there's this great solidity and this great strength. He is a fortress to her, and that's important and that's significant. And he is the foundation of our life. Prayer brings her into that place where she's able to acknowledge God as a rock. If we are not praying, we will not be able to come to this testimony because we will not be founding our lives on him and relying on his safety and, and his goodness. So, you see, if we have this foundation in our life, you know, the story that Jesus gives of the wise and the foolish builders. You know, sand and rock, a great difference. When a building is hewn out of the rock, it's really solid and secure. When we were in, uh, I, was, I was really hopeful to get his illustration at one point. When we were up in Dornock for, uh, for a few days in the summer. We were in a caravan, uh, myself and Katrina and Ross, and uh, we were right beside the beach. And, of course, we went wholeheartedly, one of the nice days, into building a sandcastle kind of, Ross was vaguely interested in the sideline. Katrina and I were hovering, we were really making it detailed, and it was beautiful, and um, Ross would be hungry, and, oh yeah, you'll get your food in a minute, wait till I do this next layer of the castle. So we were really engaged and involved, and we built a big uh, um, moat around it, and we eventually put that moat in a channel that would reach right out to the sea. And it was great, and it looked fantastic, and we were proud. And then, of course, very obviously, but the sea comes in and it comes in the channel and it just so quickly undermines uh, the sand. And we, we stood there, I think Ross was probably by this stage utterly bored. Uh, in fact, he'd given up in a rage and gone up to the caravan. But maybe two hours later, we we'd stood watching the whole thing completely disappear as the tide came in. And it there, it's just such a powerful reminder of what Jesus was speaking about in terms of the foundation we make in our life. And God is this great, solid, this eternal rock. So that when the, when the storms of death, when the storms of trouble, when the storms of what we regard as unanswered prayer, when the storms of um, bitter experience hit us, we've got this rock on which we have founded our lives. My rock. It's a, a great prayer and a great illustration, a solid rock. Also, this great permanent rock, Isaiah 26, says, Trust the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, he repeats, is the rock eternal. It's great that it becomes a very strong name that's given to God in the Bible. The rock is the rock eternal. Uh, it really is, like this morning, as we were speaking about the preeminence, of Jesus Christ. There's this gravitas. There's this reliability. There's solidity about the permanence of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ in our lives. Uh, Things in our lives that we think are permanent are important, aren't we? As children, we like the permanence of our parents. They're always there. They're there when we come home from school. And it's why it's so difficult for us when that isn't the case. When they're not there for us lose parents at an early age or there's dysfunction within the family or there's separation and divorce. It's difficult for us because we are hardwired just to see them and to know they're there and to know they're part of our lives. And yet here we have this wonderful God who is a permanent fixture as we put our trust in Him. Who We make our life at no rock like our God. We're mooring. I think I mentioned this before. You're mooring a boat at You want to moor it, not to another boat of the same size. When the storms come, they'll both be battered. You moor it to something solid that's on the land that's always going to be there. Permanence when you're struggling difficult. Consider him uh, this evening at the Lord's table. But the third thing about rock, and uh, a good thing about rock, uh, that we're reminded of in Job 28. Is it's full of surprises. Oh, Hannah had found that out already. God is an amazing God. That God is full of surprises. Man assaults the flinty rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock. His eyes see all its treasures. He searches the sources of the rivers and brings hidden things to light. So we find it as, as, as we hew into that rock that is God, that it, we find great fellowship and great spiritual surprises in his coming. But it comes. The jewels only come when we dig deep. They don't lie in the surface. And so in our relationship with God, we recognize that. We, we recognize grace. We recognize the power and the beauty and grace in the darkness very often of our experiences. Uh, uh, when in the darkness, these hidden things are brought to light. We understand his patience. We understand his, we understand his purposes. It might not be what we had expected. He takes us a different road, but we recognize that his ways are full of good surprises. You can't always stay in the shallows, my friend, as a Christian. You can't always wing it. It's good to dig deep in your relationship with him. It's good to to be in darkness sometimes because it throws you into the company of the one who is the light of uh, light, the, the light of life. And we find the precious resources of His grace. He's solid, He's permanent, He is full of surprises, and the last thing I want to mention uh, really uh, is that He is also dangerous is dangerous. Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, 12 and 30 says, rock you have ordained them to punish your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And we have that picture of uh, Paul that's given in Romans 9 of a rock that causes people to stumble. And also in Matthew 21 that speaks of the rock that uh, will break people in repentance or uh, will crush them. Judgment—a kind of a mixed picture of the sovereignty and the glory and the goodness and uh, the righteousness of this God. And that same day that we were playing on the shore, um, we did lots of exploring on the rocks. Rocks are great fun to explore, and it's one of my favourite pastimes—is walking barefoot, barefoot on rocks at the sea shore. But you need to respect them. You can't run the 100 meters sprint on them. You can't just uh, look all over the place while you're on the rocks. You need to really watch where you walk. You need to be careful. They're great, but they'll break your ankle very quickly. And we need to respect the living God. Of course, He's the God of grace, of permanence, of surprises, of solidity, of love, of assurance, but He also is the God that we need to worship and respect and uh, acknowledge as Lord in our lives because uh, He is the great uh, sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will face Him. We do face Him. We will face Him one day. We will face Him either as those who are covered in the righteousness of Jesus, which is the only Validation for taking part in the Lord's Supper this evening. Uh, The Lord's Supper we will celebrate shortly is uh, for the Lord's people, those who have taken Jesus Christ to be their Savior, who are covered in His perfect righteousness, recognizing that He has had, as it were, the rock of God's judgment. Um, He has borne that on the cross in the forsakenness that he experienced. And he has done that for our sins. So as we take him as Lord and Savior, we have every right to sit at the Lord's table this evening. And uh, it is not the free church table. It is the Lord's table. It's an open table for all those who know, uh, have professed, and have taken the Lord Jesus Christ as their own. And if you're visiting this evening and uh, you belong to Jesus Christ... Uh, you trust Him as your Savior, and you're a member of another Christian church, then you're very welcome to participate. If you're not, uh, then please don't take part. Uh, Don't be embarrassed by that. Pass on the bread and the wine when it comes. Uh, But until you've made your peace with God, the Lord's table is not for you uh, to participate in. And uh, we would encourage you to be challenged by and to consider uh, the message of the gospel which is freely offered to you. So let us rejoice in this confession of faith by this very ordinary woman with very ordinary but very real desires, Uh, but in her putting God first uh, was uh, filled with a sense of fulfillment and belonging and testified with great joy. And may it be that we will rise from the table tonight and testify with great joy of being a Christian. It's so often a burden, isn't it? We're so often struggling. But may it be that we we rise with joy and share our faith. You know, Murdo and Kate were talking about, Porterbrook and how we can share our faith uh, as we learn more and as we live uh, with a greater knowledge of Christ and Grow in confidence with sharing our faith. I think it's one of our greatest needs throughout the church. We're not relying on ministers to, to transform churches. We're a people of the book and we're a people of Christ and we recognize the opportunities and the privileges we have to share the gospel with other people who don't know Jesus outside of here. When was it that we last wrestled in order to do that, wrestled with God. When did we take our bitternesses to Him and leave them with Him in faith and in trust? When were we in the darkness hewing out grace and seeing answers that we could never have dreamed of? May it be that we can give over all that burdens us into the hands of the great God uh, who we serve, and we will receive more back than we could ever dream of. However, he chooses to answer that prayer. Amen. Let's uh, pray um, briefly. Lord God, bless us as we uh, consider your word and as we consider also now uh, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary uh, for us. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, that historical and historic act Uh, in time and space, uh, reverberated throughout eternity, and his cry on the cross of it is finished, is a cry that we can rejoice in and take comfort from this evening. As we sit at the Lord's table together, and as we uh, share the bread and the wine, uh, may we do so reminding ourselves that this is your gift, that you have given the sacrament to us, and it is for our good and for our blessing. We thank you for the bread and the wine uh, that uh, have become symbols of uh, your body shared uh, and your uh, blood poured out on our behalf. And we ask that we would recognize that in your giving of life, we receive life. And in your death, we receive uh, the forgiveness and the sting of death removed. And may that be important as often as we remember it. Uh, until you return. So help us God and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.